0: Good morning, King's Cross. It's good to be back in the pulpit. Good to be with you. It's been four weeks, so buckle up. We might be here for a little while has fussed at me, said I was about to come up here too soon, so maybe I'm eager and excited uh, to be back with you uh, and behind the pulpit. If you're a visitor, we want to welcome you. We're glad that you're here. Um, We had a wonderful week of kind of outreach and blessing and serving our community with soccer night, so thank you to all the volunteers who served and labored uh, that we might, uh, yeah, be a representation of the love of God for his people and for the lost world uh, in serving in that way. And if we have any visitors uh, even here from uh, soccer nights, we welcome you and we're glad that you're with us. And let me uh, just say that we're jumping back into the book of Matthew for this week. And then the next three weeks, uh, we will finish uh, the Minor Prophets. And then I will be back in Matthew and finish it, Lord willing, this fall. And so just to get your head around kind of where we've been uh, and where we're going, we to let you know that. But let's pray again and ask for the Lord's help. And then we'll jump into the text for today. Father... Unless your spirit moves and breathes on this, I'm a mere man speaking mere words. But if your spirit would move, we could hear the living God this morning. That's what we need. That's what we plead from you. Speak to us. Humble our hearts. Make us honest. And give us joy in Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are few things more destructive to authentic Christianity than hypocritical leadership. There are few things more destructive to authentic Christianity than hypocritical leadership. Church hurt, so-called church hurt, often is the result of self-righteous and hypocritical leaders. The increasing list of documentaries and podcasts about fallen church leaders expose this destruction. Now, many of the conclusions of these documentaries and podcasts, I think, are incredibly flawed and have mixed motives. But one thing these things do is point out the destruction, even of thousands of those who follow hypocritical, false leaders. Jesus Christ himself reserved his most intense rebukes for self-righteous, hypocritical leaders. I just want you to know, even this morning, even as a church, this is one of the reasons we take church membership so seriously. And while we get together and have a connect class where we teach what we believe and what's going to look like, what the Bible teaches for Christians and their responsibility to one another and for the elders and pastors of a church to have in a congregation. Because we want you to know this is what the Bible says about church leadership. This is what the Bible says about responsibility to one another in Christ. We've got our next class on August 4th and 5th, and we just invite you, if you've been visiting, to come kind of to that class as we pull back the curtain and let you know about these responsibilities. One of the things we do in that class, though, is explain the first part of our church covenant is actually the elders' covenant to the members of the church. So the first half of the covenant has nothing to do with the members of the church yet. It's everything about what are the elders' responsibility in serving and committing to these particular members. Now, the elders or the pastors, those are interchangeable terms, are also first members. And so we have all the ordinary responsibilities of a member, but there's unique responsibilities the elders have to a church. Among those listed in our covenant are these. To oversee the growth of members as disciples of Christ and give an account for their growth in grace, truth, and love. We take this account before God very seriously. One day we will stand before God on judgment and answer for how we shepherded and cared for the flock that was among us. Next it says to provide teaching and counsel from the whole scripture. So the first half of this year I finished up the book of Exodus when I preached When the other pastors have preached, you've heard from the minor prophets. We've done overview sermons from minor prophets. And now I'm getting back into Matthew, and Lord willing, we will finish this fall, and then we'll probably go to an epistle or wisdom literature. Why? Because we've committed to teach you from the whole counsel of Scripture. Then it says to equip the members of the church for work of ministry, including future elders and church planters. So we have a church planting residency that Matt Speaks is fulfilling right now, that Lord willing, he and his wife will go out and start a new church, Lord willing, even as soon as next September, not this coming, but next. So we take seriously that our job is to equip leaders and send them out. We have a a program called Equip to equip our women to be spiritual leaders in the church and a, a program called Aspire to equip men in the church. We take this seriously. This covenant is there. It's in place. The elders are committed to this. But the next one, and I want you to listen very closely, says to be on guard against false teachers and teachings. To be on guard against false teachers and teachings. In Matthew chapter 23, the Lord Jesus teaches how to recognize hypocritical false leaders. And then he rebukes those leaders and then he mourns the overall state of Israel. And it's important, so you, you go through preaching through the book of the Bible, you don't just pick your topic and kind of do whatever the preacher wants. You go through books of the Bible and you come to the particular topics. And in today's text, we come to a text as, if our job as elders is to prote- protect you from false teaching, we ought to do that from the text of scripture. And we come to a text in Matthew 23 where the Lord Jesus tells us, here's how you recognize false leadership. Hypocritical false leaders. Big idea this morning. Hypocrisy obsesses over external righteousness while neglecting the internal righteousness that only comes through faith in the mercy of God. Hypocrisy obsesses over external, outside, observable righteousness while neglecting the internal righteousness that only comes through faith in the mercy of God. If you want a title this morning, Church Hurt, Hypocrisy, and Hope for All church hurt, hypocrisy, and hope for all. First, again, in the text that was read, we see four marks of a hypocritical religious leader. Jesus lets you know, I want you to follow me as my disciple. And if you follow me as a disciple, I'm going to teach you and show you what it looks like to recognize hypocritical false teachers. And notice in verse one, when he opens this text, it says, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, So he's going to talk to the hypocritical leaders themselves in just a moment. But right now, he speaks to his disciples and to the listening crowds. So even King's Cross, members of this church, you should peer in. Jesus has a word for you about how to recognize false teachers. But again, also the crowds were listening. So even if you're not a member of this church, if you're not even a follower of Christ, Jesus says, no, no, listen in. As this pastor talks to this church from my word about how to recognize false teachers, you should listen in and pay attention to this. He means to equip us to know how to recognize those who are dangerous to our spiritual lives. Now he talks about the scribes and the Pharisees. So the scribes were professional experts on the law. So almost think lawyers, kind of in our terms. And then the Pharisees were theological experts applying the law to Jewish life. So as we go into Jesus pointing out there are false leaders among the scribes and the Pharisees. And he gives us four marks of how to recognize a false religious leader, a hypocritical religious leader. Mark number one, they do not practice what they preach. They do not practice what they preach. Again, look at verse two and three. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. So notice first, false religious leaders have positions of authority. So he says, these scribes and these Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. They're in the seat of authority teaching the law of Moses. So they have a right position of authority, but they wrongly abuse it because they have this position of authority, but they wrongly preach without practicing. So he says, do as they say when they read and instruct faithfully, but do not follow their example. Notice and pay attention when their example is out of step with what they teach because they see themselves as exceptions to the norm. So one of the things about a false teacher we'll see in just a minute is he sees himself or she sees herself as an exception to the norm. No, that's beneath me. I'm an exception to this rule. They practice, or they do not practice what they preach. We see this, an example, in Matthew chapter 15. The Pharisees and scribes were arguing about Jesus. They were upset, saying, your disciples do not keep our traditions. In that case, uh, about washing hands and some, some rituals they had in place for washing hands. Jesus responded, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? "'For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, "'and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. "'But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother "'what you would have gained from me is given to God, "'he need not honor his father. "'So for the sake of your tradition, "'you've made void the word of God, you hypocrites. "'Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, "'This people honors me with their lips, "'but their heart is far from me. "'In vain do they worship, "'teaching as doctrines the commandments of men.'" So these religious leaders were in a society that was taught in in, in Scripture where it's taught that you would honor your mother and father in their old age. And what he's talking about specifically was financially taking care of them. But you have some of these scribes and Pharisees that are like, no, 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 listen, I'm in this special seat. My money is used for things of God. Therefore, I don't have to take care of mom and dad like you do. And Jesus says, you're making void the very word of God because of your traditions. You're coming up with exceptions so that you can avoid that which the scriptures clearly teach. They taught others to take care of their parents in their old age, but they didn't. So beware of any religious leader who doesn't practice what he preaches. If he always has an exception and excuse, he's a bad example. If there's always an exception and excuse as to why, he doesn't have to obey the text that you have to obey. He's an example you ought not follow. Pay attention. He's a false hypocritical leader. Secondly, second mark of a hypocritical religious leader. They break people down rather than build them up. They break people down rather than build them up. Look at verse four. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. So they load up their people with heavy burdens on their back. They teach extra-biblical tradition and laws that people can never live up to. Their leadership exhausts those under their authority. They wear them out rather than refresh them. They burden them rather than carrying and bearing their burdens. They tear them down rather than building them up. Weak and needy people annoy hypocritical leaders. People under their leadership never do enough to satisfy them. Their leadership creates a culture of prideful legalists who at some point become exhausted legalists who just throw in the towel and give up because they just keep loading burdens on their backs, not bearing and carrying those burdens with them. They preach law with no gospel. They preach tradition as if it is gospel. They get you to work so they don't have to lift a finger. Everyone else has to obey the rules and do the heavy lifting, but they need not because they're the anointed man of God. Third mark of a hypocritical False religious leader. They seek the privileges of a platform. They seek the privileges of a platform. Look at verse 5. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. They love to get honor from other people. They love to do it even from what they wear. Phylacteries. What's a phylactery? So you know, uh, in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, Mo- Moses taught that they should put the, the word of God on their forehead. So these little leather boxes, they would have parchment and scriptures rolled up and put literally on their forehead and on their shoulder. So these scribes and Pharisees would make them like super big. <laughs> so I no, no, I want you to know how serious I am. There's a whole bunch of scribes uh, uh, rolls of verses up in there. <laughs> and then, and then their, their garments, they would make them extra long. Just so you know, they want, they, they, these were supposed to represent holiness. And they want wanting, you know, no, no, I'm especially holy. I memorize and have a whole lot of scripture on me. I'm special. So I want you to honor me because of what I'm wearing. I'm using literally what I'm wearing to get you to praise me and put me in a different place. They love the best seats, not for the view, but for the honor in the synagogue. They want to be the special person seated in a special place so that everybody in the room knows I'm better than you. They would look for those things that made them stand out and be different from the ordinary person. They love titles. They would demand you call them a certain name that distinguished them apart from being just an ordinary follower of Yahweh. Now, to be clear, it's not wrong to honor others. In fact, the Bible tells us to do that. But it is pharisaical hypocrisy to demand it for yourself. Any religious leader running around talking about honor me, honor me, honor me is, should be like a check engine soon light on for you. Okay, something is wrong there. If he's running around saying, you must honor me, you must call me this, you must look and see what I wear, you must understand and put me in all the best places, you need to look and see, that's dangerous. Something is wrong. There's something about this that is wrong and unhealthy. There's a refusal to heed Jesus' warning in Matthew 6.1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Fourth mark of a hypocritical religious leader Their self-exaltation is a direct contradiction to Jesus' commands. Their self-exaltation is a direct contradiction to Jesus' commands. Look at verse 8 again. But you're not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus throughout this gospel and throughout all of the gospels regularly teaches that greatness in the kingdom is turned upside down according to and compared to the world. Greatness in the kingdom is associated with humility and service, not power and privilege. Christ again says this is a distinction between what it looks like to follow God and what it looks like to be a pagan, an outsider who doesn't follow God. Matthew 20, verse 25, Jesus called to them and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. For whoever be great among you must be your servant. Whoever be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Matthew eighteen four. Whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Cosmic redemption happened at the cross through sacrificial service, not through a worldly power play. So the king of kings with all power laid down his life to serve. So you can't tell me you're a leader following him when you're making power plays. Total contradiction. The one whom you claim to follow is a humble servant. He has the most power. So if you're leveraging, you're saying, honor me, honor me, honor me, treat me special, treat me. Not even God in the flesh did that, though he was worthy of it. And so to to say this is how I'm going to lead is to contradict Christ himself. J.C. Ryle says humility is the first letter in the Christian alphabet. We must begin low if we would build high. Tony Evans says there there is to be no elitism in the family of God, and the cure for elitism is servanthood. Now, again, just to be clear, there's an opposite error, right? So even the Apostle Paul calls Timothy his true child in the faith and his beloved child. He refers to Titus as my true child in a common faith. To the Corinthians, he says, I became your father through the gospel. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 12-13, he says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. The Apostle John says, I have no greater joy than to hear my children, he's speaking spiritually, I believe here, are walking in truth. Christ himself taught his, his followers to honor their mother and father. So Jesus is not condemning the mere use of titles, but the abuse of titles by religious leaders specifically. So he's, he's fine with some of these titles. Again, he uses them. What he's saying is a religious leader who demands and uses those titles to abuse those underneath his leadership is one who's contrary to the very character of Christ. We are all servants of God. We are all servants and sinners in need of mercy, grace, forgiveness, and redemption. But religious hypocrites need and use titles to exalt themselves above, above others. As disciples of Christ, as Christians, as authentic believers, we do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than ourselves, Paul says in Philippians 2.3. We concern ourselves with pleasing God and serving people, not pleasing man and building platforms. Therefore, a faithful Christian church don't, doesn't build the church on God's man, but on the God man. We're, we're not building around a personality or a particular gift set. We're building on Christ. And so every single preacher points to the one hero of the church. None of the preachers in the church are the hero. Christ is. And so we point to the God-man to say, no, this is the one whom we're all looking to as brothers and sisters in the faith, as sinners needing grace and mercy, as servants. And therefore, we honor one another as God uses one another to serve his purposes and his glory. We brag on Christ. So we should honor those who help us do that. But we build on Christ Those who labor faithfully, labor not to be known, but to make Jesus known. Not to be honored, but that King Jesus might be honored. Therefore, we want people leaving our worship services, our church plants, our ministry events, saying, hallelujah, what a Savior. That's the end goal. If you walk out of those doors in a little bit of time, however long I preach, I'm not even going to tell you how long. However long it is, you walk out of those doors saying, hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a Savior. That's the end goal in our ministry. Now, if you're visiting from another church or organization that clearly contradicts Jesus' model of leadership, you should leave. You should be humble. You should be respectful. You should be gentle. But you should leave. You cannot follow Christ and do everything the opposite of him. This is how Jesus teaches us to identify a hypocritical religious leader. Number one, they do not practice what they preach. Number two, they break people down rather than build them up. Number three, they seek the privileges of a platform. And number four, their self-exaltation contradicts Jesus' clear commands. So if your pastor rolls up to church in an outrageously priced car to get it valeted, steps out in his designer clothes, is ushered into the green room where interns stand up and clap for him when he walks in, who has a hype section strategically positioned to clap for him during his sermon and is loaded with exceptions and excuses for why he doesn't have to live the normal Christian life, Jesus has warned you. Secondly, King Jesus rebukes the hypocritical religious leaders. So he's warned you now, here's how to identify hypocritical religious leaders. He now turns to the religious leaders themselves and rebukes them. And he makes explicit, hypocrisy is hellish. Hypocrisy is demonic. It is exceedingly evil and eternally dangerous. Now, hypocrisy is a familiar term. No one wants to be called a hypocrite. (laughs) Like nobody's like, oh man, they called me a hypocrite. Made me feel good about myself. (laughs) Like nobody's living to get that accusation. But what does it mean? What is a hypocrite? What does it mean to be a hypocrite? It's originally from a Greek word, that meant to be an actor or stage performer or to, quote, interpret or play the part. So there'd be a poet or a screenwriter, a playwright who would write a play, and the hypocrite, it wasn't even negative, was the person acting behind a mask to portray that which the author said. So they weren't being their real self. They were pretending in order to communicate something else. So a hypocritical religious leader is an actor or performer. Now, Jesus delivers seven woes to them. These woes are statements full of a mixture of emotions. So there's a mixture of regret and lament, of compassion, of rebuke, and of righteous anger. So again, don't just assume he's literally just yelling and screaming at them and he's only angry. There is a righteous anger, but there also is a lament, a compassion, a, a, a broken heart as he laments and grieves and rebukes with righteous anger these who are performing and faking these woes reveal a tremendous guilt before a holy God. Now I want you to know if you're here, and perhaps, I don't imagine there's many of you, but perhaps you're using the old King James. Well, in yours you're going to see actually eight woes rather than seven. You're going to look down, you're going to see a verse 14 in your text that's not in the rest of the text. So if you have any other version, probably there's not a verse 14 in there, but there's a footnote that has it down at the bottom for you. That's because as we've found older manuscripts, that that woe was not in those original manuscripts. So it's likely not in the original text, likely not inspired. And so it's been taken out of most translations because we have more reliable manuscripts that did not have it, but it's in a footnote down beneath. So I just wanted you to know, when we go from 13 to 15, no one's confused. <laughs> we know what's going on. It's not like a secret and there's a conspiracy going on. No, 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 we know what's happened and it's okay. Everything's all right. We can talk more about it later if you would like to. But these woes reveal their guilt before a holy God. Because friends, all throughout the scripture, what we learn is that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And Jesus, in this moment, when he pronounces these woes, reveals his godness as he exposes their hearts. Now, obviously, he's talking to hypocritical religious leaders, but let's be honest. There's hypocrisy in every human heart, including everyone in this room. We'd be foolish to merely cheer on Jesus as he rebukes these hypocritical leaders, in fact, I would just say, if you really enjoy watching Jesus dunk on hypocrites, you probably are one, <laughs> just so you know. Like one of the ultimate signs that you're blind to your own hypocrisy is that you love calling other people hypocrites, all right? So just know all of us should, as we go into and watch him rebuke, we should also be, pay careful attention to our own hearts and say, so, Jesus, like, let me take the plank out of my eye before I go after the splinter and other hypocrites. Let me look into my own heart first as we listen to Christ's rebuke. So as we do that, as we go through these rebukes he makes to these leaders, I'll make a few comments along the way that we should all consider. Woe number one, rebuke number one. Why does he rebuke them? First, because they close doors that they should open. Hypocritical religious leaders close doors they should open. Look at verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. They were supposed to teach the way of the kingdom to show people how to enter the kingdom. Faithful religious leaders are always inviting outsiders to come in. Always. So the faithful Christian is always looking at the outsider, even the hypocrite, saying, I wish you could come in. There's a heart saying, no, no, I've tasted mercy. I've tasted grace. You need to find this mercy and grace. Come inside. This is what they were supposed to be doing. But instead, they were creating man-made traditions to distinguish themselves from people and keep keeping people out. And Christ himself revealed clearly over and over that he was the only way in. John 10, verse 7, Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. These religious leaders had missed it. So we see in the second part of verse 13. He's like, not only do you close the door on them, you haven't even gone into the kingdom of God. You're supposed to be teaching the way into the kingdom. You haven't gone in. You're slamming that door in their faces. God's mercy and grace are the only way in. Your works are not good enough to get you in. His grace and mercy through Christ is the only way in. And these leaders were banking on their own righteousness and work. They believed they were justified by their own works. They removed the need for a savior to save from sin. And they replaced the Savior with all kinds of man-made traditions. So they're saying instead of trusting in a Savior to save you, the coming Messiah to save you, trust in these list of rules and do them like us, and then you can enter. But remember what Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Friend, it is possible, like these religious leaders did, to fool yourself by trusting in your external behavior and performance. Consider even, you must consider even your good deeds as trash before a holy God. Abandon all hope in yourself, all hope in your good works, and trust in Christ alone. Maybe even during this sermon, if the Spirit convicts you that you're a hypocrite, that you've performed your whole life, that you've gone to church and you've been moral and you've done all these things externally, but internally, you're dead as can be. Even if that happens, run to Christ. The goal is not, no, okay, start doing good works. No, no, no. Understand those even are trash. Look to Christ and Christ alone. Friend, if you would come to God, you must come through faith in Christ. Have you walked through that blessed door to eternal joy? Jesus is the door to glory. He is the path to right relationship with God. He's opening the doors to eternal paradise with God and his people. Enter. If you have not entered, entered. Enter by faith. Ask a Christian who brought you or a pastor for help. Seek membership and and baptism and join a church and say, no, I want to follow this Christ. I want his glory. I don't want the door slammed in my face. Second woe he gives to them. He rebukes them because they care more about stats than souls. They care more about stats than souls. Look at verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte or convert. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. So he rebukes them for traveling around the world and back to make converts to their traditions, but not to his kingdom. So what this teaches us, you can have a a whole bunch of so-called converts and God not necessarily be pleased. So just because people are converting to a particular tradition doesn't mean God is saying, I did all of that. In this case, they think they're doing something for God and and Jesus in this moment is saying, no, 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 you're traveling all over the world to get people to convert to your traditions when you're making them twice as much a child of hell as they were before because now they think they're right with me and they're not right with me. So now they got to get lost before they can actually get saved. So he's demonstrating in this moment, no, 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 like false teachers, hypocritical false teachers are more concerned about stats they tell to their other religious friends than they are about the souls of the individual. So if you'll sign something, if you'll do something, if you'll join something, and they get to say, look at all our numbers and not care about you, this is evidence of a hypocritical false teacher. It's a lot harder to minister to people who first need to realize they're lost before they can get saved. And false teachers get people to put their faith in the wrong place and make them think that they're okay. That has to be undone first and look to Christ. This is why Christ gives such a strong rebuke to these false leaders. Religious traditions and external behavior can make you doubly blind to your need for a savior because your prideful flesh blinds you. And then these hypocritical false teachers affirm your blindness. They get another notch in their statistical belt and you feel like you're better than everyone else. They don't actually care about the souls of individuals. Again, they're just adding to their numbers. Faithful leaders know what you win people with, you win them too. You win them with Christ and Christ crucified, that's what you win them to. You win them with entertainment, that's what you win them to. The church is not here for your entertainment. It's not here to make you feel warm and fuzzy. The church is not here to make you believe and trust in yourself more. The church is here to proclaim Christ and Christ crucified. And this is what we win people with. It's what we win them to. And in that comes eternal joy. In that comes, no, I know who God is maybe to be. My adoption is secure. I have worth. And like all those things come. But that is a result of understanding gospel. The church of Christ is here to preach gospel, not to entertain consumers with a product. So we invite you to bow the knee to King Jesus, to have eternal rest and eternal joy, not just to add to our numbers. We actually love you. Not just the concept of you or the number of you, but you yourself. We want to make sure you know God. This is what a false, uh, uh, a true, and faithful leader is to be. Thirdly, Jesus rebukes them because they lie about God with promises. So they lie about God with promises. Look at verse 16 down to 22. Woe to you, blind gods who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that's made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he's bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift of the altar or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. So what is this rebuke about? What is this woe about? Jesus criticizing their ridiculous rules about oaths. So they had this ranking, complex value ranking system. It's like, no, if you make an oath, if you make a promise and you use this, well, then it's, it's this important. But if you use that, it's that important. If you use that, it's even more important. And they're arguing and debating about which phrase you, uh, you used and which thing you swear by, then therefore, which one is most significant? And so Jesus kind of asked them the question, does the fact that the gold is in the temple make the temple special? Or does the temple make the gold special? Which is more important, a dead lamb or an altar that makes the offering of the lamb worship? All these oaths are about the temple, and all the temple is about God. Jesus is saying, ultimately, every oath you're making is saying, "God is my witness." He knows if you're lying or not. It doesn't matter what you swear by. <laughs> so Jesus, is like, this is this is literally insane. No matter which of these things, at the end of the day, all of this is about God and about truth and about lies. That's why he taught us earlier in this in in uh, in Matthew to say, "No, let your yes be yes, your no be no." Don't like if you have to always say, "For real, for real." That means you're always lying. (laughs) Like Jesus, no, no, no. Like God is the God of truth. He's the one true God. Therefore, we tell truth. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. You don't have to add the own God or own my mom and them or for real, for real. No, just tell the truth. This is what you do as a follower. If an authentic follower of Christ, then you tell the truth. And Jesus is saying, this scenario y'all are doing and making these silly, complex rules about which one means it's more true and which one's more serious, don't you understand you'll stand before me on judgment day and I'll know every single lie and I will expose every single lie. We'll find out what's true and what's a lie. Therefore, his people tell truth. Fourth rebuke he gives to these false teachers or these hypocritical leaders. He rebukes them because they miss the main point of the law. Loving God and neighbor. They missed the main point of the law, loving God and neighbor. Look at verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Now, the Mosaic law required giving a tenth of all that one gained for the ongoing work of the temple. Apparently, these scribes and Pharisees, religious leaders, one of the other ways they were showing off how holy they were, where they would find the smallest things that they could offer as a part of their tithe. So, mint leaves. So, my kids and my wife love gardening. They've got all kinds of flowers and plants in our yard. I know nothing about any of them, so I can't say much more than I have or I'm going to reveal that I'm an idiot. But but they have a lot out there. I know that they have mint leaves. Just imagine how silly it would be if I said to Nias, Nias, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out there and pick one of every 10 of those mint leaves. I want you to bring it to King's cross. And then on Sunday morning, I'm going to let the church know, Hey, y'all see these mint leaves. I'm putting them in the offering box back there. (laughs) Y'all see how holy and righteous I am. Jesus is like, this is what y'all were doing, but you're neglecting the weightier matters of the law, like doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly with God. Don't you understand all of these laws are to point you to loving God and loving other people. Not to loving yourself. These laws aren't so that you can use the laws to love yourself. These laws are to teach you to love God and love others. He says, so it's like you're straining a gnat and drinking a camel. So they would drink wine. They had to filter it, strain out the gnats. A gnat was considered unclean. You'd be ceremonially unclean if you drank a gnat. So they would take careful, careful detail to make sure they strained them out so they didn't drink it and then become unclean. Jesus like, you strained out the gnat, but you're drinking a camel. <laughs> I love that Christ is using humor here. Like, and, and thinking about, no, do y'all see how silly this is? Yeah, of course you should do the small things, but you're neglecting the weightier ones. So, and maybe in our context, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of you that you floss your teeth, but you're swimming around in a sewer. Like, you should get out of the sewer before bragging about flossing your teeth. <laughs> like, it's, you're, you're making a big deal about the small things, you're ignoring the major things. Jesus rebukes them for this, says, woe is you. Who cares how much you give to the church if you only give to the church so other people can brag on you giving to the church? Who cares how much you serve the community if you only serve the community to get the community to brag on you for serving the community? Like, who cares what laws you're obeying if actually you're only obeying in order to love and serve yourself? If you need other people to see and praise all the good that you're doing, you're not doing very much good. Fifth, woe. They care more about their appearance than their affections. They care more about their appearance than their affections. Verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. If you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence, you blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may also be clean. Now, in these next two woes, Jesus uses two illustrations to really get at the core of what motivates the hypocritical religious leader, namely looking good, namely appearance. So he's saying, you're working so hard to clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside it's full of greed and self-indulgence. You're so focused on external morality while not considering internal purity. You look religious and moral externally, but internally your heart is filthy. Your nice and clean life on the outside is ruined by the heart of a narcissist on the inside. Self-glory, self-indulgence, self-advancement, and self-comfort, that's what's driving you. And it's driving you because the hypocrite is addicted to the praise of man and has forgotten to live for the approval of God. Similarly, the sixth woe, they care more about looking good while being dead than they do being cleansed and made alive. They care more about looking good while being dead than they do about being cleansed and made alive. Look at verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also appear, outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, when everyone would come to Jerusalem for Passover, people would whitewash the tombs to notify those who were traveling to not get close to them. If you touch the tomb, you were considered unclean. You couldn't come and worship. So they would, every year, uh, would refresh the whitewashed tomb so that you would see it and not touch it on the way in to worship. So these tombs looked fresh and clean and new. They were still full of dead bones. They looked nice and clean and pretty on the outside, but that doesn't change the fact that there was nothing but death on the inside. Hypocrites are so busy looking down on others, they forget to look up to God's holiness or look within at their own sinfulness. And This is true of hypocrites today. You look good and religious and moral to others, but are lifeless on the inside. You know all kinds of doctrine, but have no devotion. You do all kinds of good deeds, but have no inward delight in loving God and loving people. This is obviously not just a warning for religious leaders, but for us all. It is possible to show up to church, try to live a good moral life, to appear godly, but to be dead on the inside. You can pretend like you have it all together, but your marriage is falling apart. You can present like a good Christian, but you have an addiction no one knows about. You serve the church to be seen serving, but could not care less about your savior, or your neighbor. You're like an actor putting on a performance when inside your heart is cold and dead. The internal filth needs to be cleansed. The dead heart needs to come to life. You need one who can cleanse within and raise the dead. Seventh woe, they claim a high view of his word while rejecting it in practice. Hypocritical religious leaders claim a high view of God's word while rejecting it in practice. Look at verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we had not taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves to your sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, some you will flog in your synagogue and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous bloodshed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. The scribes and Pharisees spent tons of time and money decorating the prophets' tombs so that it looked like they had great respect for the prophets. And they're saying, if we'd have been alive during our Father's Day, we wouldn't have killed these prophets. Look how much money we spend on honoring the dead. If we'd have been alive, we wouldn't have been like them. We wouldn't have put them to death. But yet this very group has rejected John the Baptist as a deranged lunatic. And they're looking at the prophet of prophets whom all prophets point to Christ himself and are rejecting Christ even this moment. And they will go on to crucify him. And they will go on to persecute the church as fulfilled in the book of Acts. Everything that Christ says right here, they go on to do. It is easy to act like you love a prophet when he's in the grave and can't speak against you. It's easy to say you believe the Bible without dealing with what the Bible says against you. One commentator says, ask in Moses' time who the good people were they will be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but not Moses. He should be stoned. Asking Samuel's time, who the good people? They'll be Moses and Joshua, but not Samuel. Asking times of Christ who they were, they'll be all the former prophets with Samuel, but not Christ and his apostles. Now in this moment, Christ is revealing he's one with God the Father. And he's saying he will send these prophets, they will persecute these prophets, they will kill these prophets, and they will do and bring forth the wrath of God and the judgment on all of Uh, those who've been killed. Verse 32 to 36, he says, all the wrath and judgment of God will come upon them for the unjust bloodshed from Abel to Zechariah, the first and last martyrs of the Hebrew canon. So rejection of his word through the prophets. Now they're rejecting the living word, the son of God himself will result on judgment on that generation. And this reality leads Jesus to lament. And then that's where our text ends today. Verse 37, Jesus laments hypocrisy in his people. O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to it. How often when I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wing and you're not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This city that was so special to him, the central place of God's chosen people, the location of the temple, our king is distraught over their rebellion. His heart is broken and he laments their rejection of his word and his care. He's like, Look, I was, I was like a mother hen, saying, no, no, come, come be safe, come be under my protection. I've come to you to bring you safety from the wrath of God and judgment of God. Oh, that they would have believed that Christ came to seek and save sinners. Well, they would have been saved. But they didn't view themselves as sinners, and so they were crushed. And this is, what he, this is why he laments their impending desolation in verse 38. Again, they would indeed crucify the Christ. And they would be besieged and destroyed by the Romans in A.D. 70. And it was a bloodbath. Religious hypocrisy always results in a bloodbath. Either of the hypocrite or of the Savior that can save the worst of hypocrites. So in conclusion, I have a few questions for you this morning. Have you been living the life of a hypocrite? Pretty and clean on the outside, but rotten and dead on the inside? Are you exhausted from all kinds of rules you grew up with but never could keep? Do you have church hurt from being trapped under the teaching of religious hypocrites who have worn you out with all kinds of extra biblical rules until you just wanted to throw in the towel and give up? Are you hiding who you really are, perhaps in an addiction or an affair? Do you long to live a single life rather than a double life? A true life rather than a deceptive life? Are you crushed even now because you realize realize how much of a hypocrite you really are? What is the remedy for hypocrisy? Now, I think our first response would be the remedy for hypocrisy is authenticity. But here's the problem. Our culture has kind of redefined authenticity in a way that would say, no, 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 that's not the remedy for hypocrisy. In some ways, authenticity is the new law of our day. People are commanded to be the authentic selves. Unless, of course, being my authentic self says that you being your authentic self is wrong. But if that's the case, then I must conform to you or must you conform to me? Who decides? Well, the hypocrite does. Maybe you figured that one out later. It's another sermon altogether. Don't have time right now. But according to the Bible... You are, in fact, authentically wrong. So just to say be your authentic self is to embrace your sin. Some desires you have are wicked, wicked enough to condemn you to hell forever. Some desires you have are good, and God has given them to you uh, as a a gift of his common grace. So authenticity is not the antidote to hypocrisy. What is? The antidote of hypocrisy is honesty and humility. Honesty about your own sinfulness. Humility to admit your own hypocrisy. Humility to admit you need a savior. Honesty and humility to own your need for a new heart that cares more about God than the approval of man. And can I end today with a beautiful truth for humble and honest hypocrites. Christ is the king who offers to take your burdens. You have a heart full of greed and self-indulgence. Are you like a whitewashed, empty tomb? Well, then come to the one who can clean your heart by giving you a new one. Hypocritical leaders get you to work so they don't have to lift a finger. Jesus, lift the cross so that you're free to follow him out of the overflow of his finished work. Hypocritical religious leaders say, work for me. Jesus says, trust my work for you. He invites us, instead of loading our back up with burdens, he invites us to bring our burdens to him. And one of our favorite passages of scripture, Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, your sin, especially the sin of your hypocrisy, is too heavy for you to carry. Take it to Jesus. Your good good deeds aren't good enough to earn his love. You must receive it freely. Stop working to earn that which you can only receive through faith. Faith in Christ is your only hope for your hypocritical heart to be cleansed and made alive such that you do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And you should follow leaders who point you to this Jesus. And by his grace, forgive those who don't. So follow leaders who point you to the one who carries your burdens. By his grace, forgive those who don't and pray for them. There will be a bloodbath. It's either Christ shed his blood for them and they will repent and they'll find life in him. Or they'll suffer under his just wrath. So if you have church hurt, no, it will be dealt with. Either on Calvary or in eternity. Your job is to say, God, give me leaders who point me to this Christ. And let me and help me to forgive those who don't. Only in Christ will you find healing for your church hurt, cleansing for your own hypocrisy, and hope for your eternal joy. Let's close in prayer.